Helping Hand podcast. My name's Pauline Shannon. I'm a mother of three and a reflex integration therapist. Each week I will be meeting someone who helps children and families. I will be asking them what they do and how they do it. We will learn how different therapies can help, how to choose which is right for you and how to find them when you need them. Today I'm happy to welcome Laura Osman to the podcast. Hi Laura, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. So why don't you start by telling me what do you do? Okay, so um, I'm a speech and language therapist. I'm also an advanced sensory integration practitioner, um, a feeding therapist and a qualified teacher. And I actually specialize in working with children um, with quite severe and complex special educational needs or those children who um, are neurodiverse. And I combine all of those different approaches basically because when I started working as a speech and language therapist um, I quite quickly realized that I knew a lot about communication and play um, and learning from that respect but there was so much more to know and I quite quickly realized that reprocessing um, which mission which will get integrated that helps us to make sense of our experiences um, and supports us to learn and participate in ways that we want to had such a significant impact on the children that I was working with and I needed to really understand a child from their sensory processing um, with a sensory processing lens in order to understand in depth you know the challenges that they were having with communication and with play and with learning um, with learning their speech language and communication development really and sensory processing became really important because I also needed to understand when a child was dysregulated and actually the strategies that I could put in place for to support a child to become more regulated and therefore to be able to engage in all the wonderful learning opportunities that were provided for them. And so sensory processing since then has really formed a foundational part of my practice. Um, And I'm also a feeding therapist too. And feeding is one of the most complex things that we ask our body to do. And sensory processing is such a significant part of feeding. And so the sensory processing lens has really, really helped as well to understand children's feeding challenges that they might be having, the challenges that um, families are facing around meal times as well. Um, has that explained? Has that <laughs> explained what I do? <laughs> it's begun to give me an idea. And I can see, you know, clients who come to me, they're, they're the same. They really have only one issue. There's often lots of different things going on. Do you want to pick apart a little bit of the different approaches that you use? So you've got an idea, you're doing speech and language, you're doing the education and the feeding. Could you just give us a, an idea of what these different things involve? 
Yeah, so um, they all sound quite different, <laughs> but actually the process in assessing and understanding a child and the challenges that they're facing, um, my assessment process and how I work with families is quite similar because actually I want to take a holistic approach. I want to look at whether communication is a factor in the child's difficulties, whether sensory processing is a factor in the child's difficulties, whether they're... Um, general kind of cognitive learning and development is impacting upon their difficulties and so I look holistically at a child and for me then working with the family and in discussing that we identify priorities um, to work on and quite often it's a combination approach um, so it is really looking at the child as an individual who are they what are they doing what are their strengths what are they doing really well? What are their challenges? And how can we work together to improve experiences for a child and to make changes and to support them to reach the goals that are important to them in terms of their function, their activity and participation? So it's really looking at, I want this child to have a really joyful life um, and engage in a way that's authentic to them you know that's authentic to the family and yes so it it always ends up being together and quite often you know families might come to me because they think it's a speech and language and communication need but actually in discussion and in assessment it might be that identify well actually sensory processing is playing a really big factor here so actually let's start with this um, let's start with the sensory processing piece and then we'll build that communication and language on top um, because obviously the two communication is about an interaction it's that giving and taking of information um, and then sensory processing and sensory integration is that giving and receiving as well of um, sensory cues so it really is part and parcel and children learn and they develop through experiencing, through experiences, through experiencing the world in different ways. And um, that's the same for communication. That's the same for sensory processing. It's the same for feeding. You know, we have this developmental trajectory that's about these experiences in the world. And um, when everything's going well, when everything's going right, then it can appear that these developments are um, easy, that they're automatic, but actually communicating, feeding and understanding our world from a sensory perspective and responding to our world is so, so, so complex. And along the way, there are so many little different bits that can interrupt that development um, and can cause challenges or difficulties for an individual and also for their family as well. And I think a lot of the work that I do is about reframing behaviors for families and helping them to make sense of their child so that it's not a bad behavior, it's not naughtiness, um, you know, that there is, it's a indication that a child is having a difficulty in some aspect of their learning and development. And therefore there's something that we can do to support it. And it's working not just with the family, but also thinking about, you know, who are the key caregivers 
in that child's life you know what's the involvement of school because we do really want to get the whole picture and children do respond very differently to different people in different environments and we want to see what's working you know if something's going really well then we want more of that if something's becoming a barrier or more difficult then we want less of that Um, and so it's really about yeah working with a family and identifying that for them and helping them to unpick that and helping them make sense of behaviors Um, and I think quite often when families come to me and we've gone through an assessment process we've had some nice discussions we've put together a plan of intervention they say you know wow, you've described my child. (laughs) Um, And this is the first time someone's done that and you've listened and you've, you know, you understand um, and you're not just labeling them as naughty or with challenging behavior or as being difficult, which can so frequently happen by well-meaning professionals or family members um, that aren't able that don't have the knowledge in the background to really look at why, you know, why is this really difficult for this child? Um, And so that's what I help families to do. Um, But it is very much a combination. I can't separate the speech and language, the sensory processing or the education anymore. It's all, um, it all becomes one package. Um, But it does mean that I can, prioritize so I do look at all of the information and I think okay you know this is a priority right now this is a priority right now you know actually and then this might be something that comes up in the future but it is it's a discussion and it is a team and um yeah it takes a lot of listening to families I've got some practical questions and what age groups do you work with so I work from the littlies, so preschool, um, up until really the primary ages is my particular area of expertise. Um, and in my teaching career, I've specialized particularly within the preschool children with severe and complex needs. But that um, over time has kind of merged across the whole primary years. Um, so, yeah, the primary years in particular. And do you work directly with all your families or do you do any online work? No, so all of it is online. Um, so I conduct all of my support online via teletherapy. Um, and so a typical assessment process um, for working with me is that I offer, I offer a free 15-minute consultation just to understand a little bit more about the family, whether you know, we are a good fit Um, as a therapist and a family and whether my approach is going to be something that's beneficial for them and that works for what they need um, at the moment and following that I've gathered lots of information and if the family want to go ahead with um, an assessment that's when I put together a bespoke assessment which will include a questionnaire which I do tend to email to families so that they have time to reflect on the questions and answer in a lot of detail um, and also have time, you know, to consult with other family members so that it's not just, for example, um, one parent's perspective, because it's really important to capture both um, and also the wider family. And so I give them a questionnaire to fill in. Um, Following that, they send it back and I review 
I review that, all of that information. And quite often I have a few follow-up questions about that. Um, that's, and because I start to hypothesize, you know, why is this child having this difficulty? Um, and so I might have some more questions to ask. Um, at that, in that time, I also asked for a lot of videos, of specific videos of a child engaging in a whole range of activities throughout the day. So if, for example, a family come to me and they're concerned about feeding, I don't just want to see videos of meal times, although that's really valuable information. I also want to see videos of children playing and interacting, um, engaging in play at the park, you know, engaging in activities at school. What are they like with their friends? What are they like with their family when they're playing and interacting? So really looking at the whole picture. And um, I find doing this kind of video analysis is really, really helpful because I see a child in their everyday environment. Um, and it tends to be, you know, I ask for videos that have been taken within the last six months, but sometimes I'll might ask for earlier ones if they have them. And in this day and age, many families do have, you know, kind of those baby videos um, and things. So I look, um, I look in more detail and in comparison to coming into a clinic, in a clinic setting, I would see a child for an hour in a really unfamiliar environment. Um, and that doesn't give me enough of a picture. So the videos really, really help. And they really help to see as well kind of the light where you see a child really, really joyfully engaging in an activity. And I think, okay, that's great. That's obviously really meeting their needs. It's fabulous. Is there a way we can increase more of that? Um, and equally, you know, if there's there is a video of something that's particularly challenging, then it helps me to see and understand, okay, well, why, what is it? Is it because it's such a busy environment and there's loads of background noise and that's impacting upon the child? Um, so yeah, assessment looks like that. And I gather all of this information and I process it all. Um, and then I feed back to the parents and that's when we have um, kind of a one to two hour teletherapy call where I talk about what my findings are what I think and I do check in as well because I want parents to say yes do you know what that really reflects my child or actually no I'm not sure you know that's not that's not always true so it gives that opportunity to give more information um, and for me to understand a little bit more and it's at that stage as well that we start to think about target setting and actually what is important for you as a family um, and what's important for your child and we start with that um, because it's about that functionality we need it to be functional and meaningful for the individual child and the family as a whole um, and quite often those targets can't be generated by therapists because what we want is completely different to what's meaningful for a family. And so then it's looking at that, you know, looking at what the big goal is and working out what the steps are, you know, how can we work towards that? Sounds, sounds great. So I'm still looking for a, what does a programme look like? So you've got the assessment. After the yeah. assessment, how... <clears throat> often would you have contact what kind of homework might you give yeah so it completely obviously completely depends on the assessment findings and the family but what I find works the majority of the time is that is a six session block of intervention where we do quite a lot of parent coaching and we look at first making 
depending on the challenges, we first look at making, you know, what adaptations and accommodations can we make to support the child at this time? Um, you know, are there changes to our own interactions that are going to be to facilitate more interactions? Are there changes to the environment that we can make that really enhance learning opportunities for a child? Are there more, are there activities that we can increase during the day to really enhance a child's learning? Are there activities that are maybe we need to reduce a little bit? Um, and so I used quite a parent coaching model in that and we work together to make those changes. Um, and it will be that I ask for little videos along the way. Um, and it's really important as well that assessment is ongoing because obviously when you're implementing changes, you expect the child to change. And so I'm always assessing and always making changes to a program in response to the child's progress um, and in response to the changes that they're making. So we don't stick to a rigid program as such. It needs to be flexible and adaptable. But I tend to suggest the first weekly for six weeks um, and a session can be is normally around 45 minutes. Um, and then after that, it might be that we move to fortnightly sessions or monthly sessions, and then eventually it become, can become check-in sessions. Um, so it's really, it's a responsive process to the family. Um, and sometimes I can end up in a situation, you know, where I say, well, actually, you know, everything's going great. You're implementing these strategies. We're seeing this development in whatever area we want to be. Um, I recommend we see each other every six weeks and a response I might get is a parent going, no, I want to see you more often. And then, you know, we go back and we say, well, that's fine. You know, we can, because it's, yeah, it's about the child and the family. And the reason I work in this way as well is because if you're working with the family or and the school, for example, if a child is school age, then they're the ones that are there all day, every day. Um, so they can, if we can upskill them and support them to be, to understand their child's challenges and develop the skills um, to support their child, then actually they're getting this all day. And I know families often come to me and they want an hour face-to-face -face once a week directly with the child. And there is, there is obviously a benefit to that as well, but long-term we really want the people around the child to feel confident with the progress that the child is making and feel confident in implementing changes which come from kind of the therapeutic knowledge and the training that I have. Um, but we want them to be in that position because I don't want families to become reliant on me. Um, you know, I want, them to be, I want you know, them to create sustainable practices really that meet their their needs and the child's needs you know so what kind of behavior or challenges or struggles might I see in a child that would prompt me to get in touch with you um so any concerns about delays in communication so for example if um Maybe a child's nonverbal cues, so kind of maybe their eye contact, maybe, maybe their facial expressions, maybe the number of interactions that they have with you throughout the day. Um, they're not having very many. Um, maybe they're not using their words to communicate. 
maybe they're not able to focus on a task or um, play like their peers, for example. If you're noticing that there are differences between your child and their peers, that can be an indication that you want to talk about your concerns with someone. Um, and similarly, if feeding is a concern and your child's, you've had difficulty weaning off, weaning onto solid foods or any early developmental challenges, um, then that's also a good chance to get in touch. You know, if you're having to put things in place that are really specific to your child, if you think, oh, you know, if I don't do this, this and this, then I know it, my child's going to have a really, really challenging day. Then again, um, you know, that's something to speak to me about. And also I think parents, you know, if they're desperate, if they're kind of reaching a point where they're like, I've done everything and I just don't know what's next, you know, then also come back. And um, I think for parents, there are lots of well-meaning um, family members and other professionals maybe who will give lots of advice on communication and behavior and feeding, but actually it, it's good to ignore them <laughs> to some extent. And if you're worried and concerned, then reach out um, and chat with someone um, because it could be an indication that there's a communication challenge and challenge there. Um, other things I look for is dysregulation. So if a child is having really, really frequent tantrums and meltdowns that um, go on for really long periods of time and it's really difficult to calm them, um, that's something else to raise concerns about. And also, you know, if your child does have um, a neurodevelopmental delay, so maybe if they do have a diagnosis of autism or Down syndrome, um, or if they have cerebral palsy, then again, um, it, intervention can support them to really achieve their maximum potential. So also talking about that because um, communication is really complex. And even if a child isn't using their words, there are lots of other things that we can do to make sure that they're expressing themselves clearly and that they are understood by others. Um, so a whole range. I think basically like if you're concerned and you're not really sure what it is, um, or equally, maybe if you've been engaging in therapy, but you haven't seen the progress that you want to see, um, then, yeah, that's a good point of time to get in touch. So, Laura, if people recognize their child and the things you've described, are they having the concerns that you've just mentioned? How can they get in touch with you? Um, so email is the best way at therapy and education at gmail.com. Um, that's yeah that's the best way I do also have a share a site with a um, colleague because we've written a curriculum for children with severe and complex needs um, and that's at www.thespringboardcurriculum.co.uk um, yeah and I work not just with families but also with schools and professionals um, so anyone with schools and professional, you know, anyone with school in working in schools can also get in touch. <laughs> Thank you for taking the time to describe the work that you do. It sounds brilliant. Thank you very much. Thanks for the opportunity. <laughs>
You've been listening to The Helping Hand Podcast, connecting families with help and support when they need it. If you want more information or to find a therapist near you, go to helpinghandonline.co.uk.